Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sherry Budziak, founder and CEO of .org Source. Association 4.0 is how we describe the skills needed to navigate Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. In this episode, Sharon Rice, Managing Director of Business Strategy at .org Source, will outline how scenario planning can prepare organizations for uncertainty. She'll cover considerations for members and customers, products and services, operations, governance, finance, and beyond. So what is scenario planning? You know, in the best of times, scenario planning is really a process that supports long-term planning. So we try to conceive um, potential futures and these futures that we would want to plan for in our strategic plan. However, we can also use strategic planning during times of crises. And this, we're hearing this motto a lot right now, hope for the best and plan for the worst. What scenario planning does is it, it fills you with information, it fills you with an understanding of the possibilities, and it gives you some control when you otherwise feel like you're completely out of control, that you, your external environment is changing around you, and, and still people are looking to you for leadership and an understanding and a path forward. So the process of scenario planning then can really give us um, a sense of an understanding of what the potential futures are. It guides our actions. It gives us control over what we're doing as opposed to being just completely reactive to the situation. Now, scenario planning typically is a rather complex process, um, especially when it's supporting long-term planning. But what I've done here is put together a methodology that uh, you know, I would call maybe just-in-time scenario planning. So it's something that you can implement with relatively low overhead. Um, you can get a lot done in a, in a short time. Um, so if you're feeling right now like you're behind and you're in a reactive mode, um, the process I'm gonna go through with you today will be able, you'll be able to implement that and then start to feel like you're maybe in control, again, at least of your, what you're doing internally. So the most important thing I think about scenario planning is that it gives us answers. And that's really what we're looking for right now. When we can't trust what information is out there necessarily because, and, and this is part of the problem with COVID-19, right? We don't have, we have a lot of data, but we don't have enough data to say, what's the trajectory of that going to be? How long is it gonna last? How long is it going to be making an impact on us? Um, so when we do scenario plannings, we, we start to get some answers and some sense of, as I said, again, control. So why are we engaging in scenario planning right now? What are the drivers? What's the condition? Um, what are the factors that are driving the uncertainty that we're experiencing and how impactful could those factors be on our business? What's the potential short, midterm, and long-term impact? So Abe talked about this where we looked um, during the 2008 recession of what's happening in the short term, how we need to respond sometimes in the midterm, and how we can change the conversation in the long term so that we're able to come out of the recession or out of the, the COVID crisis in, um, in pretty good shape and allow us to be able to move forward and improve our sustainability. We need to be able through scenario planning to determine what the possible scenarios are that we're facing. So we're gonna land on some of the scenarios. And then also how we'll monitor our environment to know what scenario is coming to fruition. And I've talked a little bit about this in the lessons learned. So what are our key indicators that we're moving towards specific scenarios? And then finally, what our strategy will be for operating under the, the scenario. And um, again, how do we monitor the success of that strategy? 
So I have a little bit of a disclaimer here. Number one is that to be effective, scenario planning should be very specific to your industry or your profession um, that the association represents. So we are often tempted to look at frameworks and um, uh, information that people put out or we'll ask our association uh, colleagues uh, from other associations to share what they're doing with us. And what I want to say is, especially with scenario planning, there's not a one size fits all. So you can look at what other people are doing and then um, say that applies or it doesn't apply to us and adopt it. And I think that's really um, a, uh, a good way to get your brain working and start thinking about what's going to impact you. But I just want to cautious you, caution you to say that the scenario planning is not a process that somebody else can do for you. You have to go through it yourself. It's something that you have to do. Now, I'm providing you today some very specific illustrations to COVID-19 crisis and the recession. And um, again, this is a very high level thinking. I'm only providing these examples for illustration of how this would work, but you hopefully can apply the methodology and not so much the data that I'm giving you here. All right, so let's start going through the questions. Why are we engaging in scenario planning? Scenario planning is part of what we do to be transparent with our staff and our leadership. So everybody has to understand when you're starting scenario planning why you're actually doing it. And, and I've got a statement here and I'll just read that very quickly. Today we are facing two separate but related challenges to the way we do business, COVID-19 and the potential of a global recession. These events are likely to have a profound impact on our members, customers, staff, leaders, and the entire association in the short and the midterm. There are li likely going to be long-term consequences as well. Our goal in scenario planning is to fully explore the possible impact of these events and develop a plan that will support us in making decision for, decisions for our association. So these dual events are very, are part of, as Abe says, what makes this a very different crisis than what we experienced in 2008. So we've got the humanitarian crisis and we have the economic crisis. They are related, although there was some projection of recession, just course correcting recession anyway. Um, so I know a number of you were, were following that and potentially planning for a down year, um, but not. this is extraordinary. This is not something that we really were planning for. And so looking at those two crises put us in really a unique situation. And there's a lot of lessons learned from 2008, but understand that this is also different. And so the scenario planning has to take both COVID-19 crisis, the humanitarian crisis, and the financial crisis into consideration. So what factors are driving the uncertainty and how impactful will they be? So what we want to do in this, in this kind of first step, or second step after defining why we're doing scenario planning, engaging in scenario planning, we want to start by looking at the factors. And this is something often that a CEO or an executive team will do, will go through. Um, and if you're blessed with a research department, maybe they'll help with this. But you want to, to line up here what's possibly happening here. And you are starting to say, how does this impact our members and their companies, their employers. And we're not really talking about how it's impacting the association yet. We're saying these are drivers that are impacting our business. So this is a good um, kind of a research exercise. So for example, I've broken these key factors, these drivers into two categories, the COVID-19 and the global recession. And so under COVID-19, some of the kinds of factors you might be looking at 
our government policy and mandates affecting business operation, our members' availability to engage. So if you're a healthcare association executive, one of the things you're watching right now, especially an MD-based group, is what are your members focusing on? Are they going to have time to focus on association activities? Probably not in the short term. So we see that, that um, dynamic that's gonna drive our business, that's gonna have an impact on our business. Um, staff availability. Uh, to manage and to process as we make this, and this is, is hopefully a short-term impact, but as we make this transition this week to working remotely, staff have to be able to adjust to that and our systems have to be able to support that. So there, that's a driver, that's an impact. Company support for non-essential activity. So what company are telling, companies are telling their members. And we saw a lot of this with, um, with event cancellation, that the companies were pulling back travel before the government said we couldn't congregate and, and we went through stages of groups. And um, I think it might be down to 10 right now, I'm not sure. But companies were saying, no, we're not gonna allow our, our staff to travel. We saw that with hospitals and um, physician organizations saying, no, can't travel. Related drivers to the global recession, obviously we've got pretty um, important stock market indicators that were um, occurring last week and this week still, interest rates, um, member interest or ability to invest in association core services in a traditional just um, uh, demand-driven recession like 2018, we would have a possibility that members would want to invest in our core products and services that may be less likely right now with the uncertainty. Um, and so if member support starts to wane for association activities, so members, so companies are saying, I'm sorry, company support, companies are saying um, right now we're not, we're cutting these budgets, these education budgets um, or conference budgets or you know engagement membership budgets. Um, that's going to be a driver on you as well. So factors in general are external to the association, but impact the association. And you wanna get a good understanding of these and a list. And this is something, by the way, and I'll talk about this a little bit at the end, but this needs to be evergreen. So you'll see more and more drivers coming through that impact your business and you'll keep this up to date. After you have your list of, of drivers, you're gonna go through an exercise to really assess their importance, the impact they're going to make, and the level of uncertainty related to that driver. And I think that this is really similar as an exercise to risk planning. So if you've ever engaged in risk planning, you know you would list the risks out and then you'd start to rank them high, medium, low in terms of the, the likelihood that they're going to occur and the impact that would make and the importance. Um, so very, very similar exercise if you've done this before. And the importance of rating the different drivers is that it makes you stop and think about what are the conditions under which these drivers are going to affect your business. So importance would mean that, that this is something that is critically important to your business. If you are not, government policy and mandates may still affect your operations if you don't, if you're not a part of an advocacy organization, but it would affect it more if you were, for example, um, the impact it would make. So I think of impact in terms of urgency of, of addressing often, because if it's going to make a big impact, um, you're more urgent in terms of your planning around that to try to mitigate that. And then the level of uncertainty that you're, that you're feeling. It's impossible to be completely accurate, accurate with your ratings, but if you're doing this part of the exec, uh, exercise with your executive term, team rather, it does 
spark good conversation. It helps you really discuss, you know, if you didn't share an understanding again of certain aspects of your business, you're going to be able to, to get to that understanding rel relatively quickly by going through the exercise. At the end of the day, what this does do, if we tally the score across the rows, um, one of the things we're going to be able to do then is say, this is where we need to most urgently put our attention, especially when we're planning or identifying scenarios even before we're planning. Um, if you group these, then you could say, well, what's gonna make a bigger impact on us really the spread of COVID-19 or the global recession? And let me illustrate that for a second. If you're a healthcare organization, and let's say that you represent pulmonologists and pulmonologists or, or um, respir the respiratory technologists, for example, there's going to be all sorts of um, impact on those members related to the spread of COVID-19 and what they're experiencing on the job and how much attention they're going to be putting on the job and what's the, the available or the leftover attention for the association. If you're one of those associations and let's say you have a pretty good, um, you have a pretty good investment fund and um, a diverse uh, source of revenue, so you're not de overly dependent, let's say on an annual meeting, then the spread of COVID-19 is going to have more of an impact um, on your association and also prevent, uh, presents more opportunity for you to support your members than let's say the recession. Um, it, but if you're an association that maybe is um, industry-based or commercial association, the global recession might impact your organization more than COVID-19. So it's, it's or the, the virus, but I should say. So this gives you an opportunity then to kind of weigh and start. And what we're doing with the scenario planning is now we're starting to focus and say, where do we need to put our time and attention? So then we want to look at the potential short, mid, and long-term impacts. And so the slide you see on the screen um, is the result of a small group of association CEOs getting together yesterday. Um, and we went through um, and defined what we thought for associations as a whole, not a specific association, but in general for associations as a whole, what we thought the impact of COVID-19 the recession was gonna be. And in a very short period of time, we were together um, for you know, two hours and then spent, I would say probably 20 minutes of that or so just talking about the situation in general. So let's say an hour and a half and in an hour and a half, we generated over 124 potential impacts of uh, COVID-19 in the recession. And, and kind of group those into short, mid, and long-term. So this is where it was saying we're starting to uh, make predictions, we're doing forecasts, we know our forecasts are going to be wrong, but what it's doing is it's creating discipline us, right? It's helping us again to focus on what we think might be happening or what could happen and how we wanna get to, to the extent that we can, especially in the midterm in front of it, as opposed to be solely reactive to it. So in the short term, there's, there's not a whole lot to do, but be reactive. And, and I define short term as one to two months and midterm to three to eight months. I think that that's that feels more and more like it's a little bit optimistic. Um, long term would be uh, when we're starting to bounce back from the recession, when we have um, when we feel like we maybe have, are on firmer ground and know what is exactly happening with the virus. Um, so more and more, I think that, that our short term is fine, one to three months, midterm may be more like four to 12 months and then uh, 12 months and beyond be long term. So this is something that is constantly adjusting as we get new information. But 
at this point in the process, what I would probably do is move this beyond the executive team and bring it into your divisions. So depending on how you wanted to look at your short, mid and long term, you may want um, divisions to go through this exercise. You've set them up. You've talked about the drivers. You're educating them. So you want, may want those staff now to get involved and start brainstorming these potential impacts. There's a couple of benefits of doing this with a wider staff group, at least with directors and managers. And, and I'm going to go back and reference something that Abe talked about, but also preview something Kevin uh, Martlidge is going to talk about, and that's transparency. Um, we're, we're channeling Mr. Rogers a lot right now, so I'll channel Mr. Rogers too and say that, you know, we want to be told. If something's going to hurt, we want to be told. By having the staff take a look at the potential impacts, they're starting to understand the situation. It also engages them more in uh, being responsive to the situation and getting their head in the game and, and starting to come up with ways that we can reduce um, the negative effects of what we're experiencing. So what are the actions that we can take to reduce that? Um, but it, it also gives them a heads up that, look, this is a very difficult situation that we're going through. We're doing the best that we can. We're being proactive and trying to manage it. But there are some hard things that are probably going to come down the pike and it starts to prepare them for that. And interestingly enough, in my experience going through this with APEX um, in 2008, uh, I, I do think engaging in these exercises give staff also a sense of some control, some understanding that they may not have had. Imagine how difficult it is as a staff member to know that this kind of planning is happening in the background and you're not engaged in it. So this is the place where I would, again, engage staff. Just to reiterate, these, were, these are some of the key areas that we would expect to be impacted or that I would expect to be impacted. Um, your categories may be different. You may define this differently. But what's important here is, again, that you're looking at the short, the mid, and the long-term impact. Okay, after you've done that, work um, and you've gotten all that data back and it is it, it is data right it's perception it's forecast it's data and probably coming back to you in an excel spreadsheet then you're going to have to decide what type of scenarios you're going to address and i think here you have choices abe mentioned that at uh, ascm they're looking at nine different scenarios and i will say ASCM is a more sophisticated organization in this regard regard than uh, most associations for a number of reasons. It's a larger association. There's more staff. Um, it's a kind of been there, done that a little bit with the recession. So those planning mechanisms were already in place. So I think for most organizations that are maybe tackling scenario planning for the first time, if you can land on, you know, three to five good scenarios to pursue and to plan against, that I believe is manageable. And remember planning for scenario planning in a what's a perceived crisis situation, I think that's what this is for sure. You wanna be able to do this rapidly. You, this cannot take months. It really can't even take weeks. This is something that you have to set as a priority and, and get it done as quickly as you possibly can. And then after you get a baseline plan in place, um, you can of course continue to improve it. So it doesn't have to be perfect, but it needs to get in place fairly quickly because you're making decisions right now on a day in and day out basis. So one of the ways that you can look at this, and there's a lot of different ways that you can create your scenarios, but I tend to like a matrix. And so what I did is I created a matrix here 
where the axes were impact on revenue and impact on engagement. And the reason that I did that, again, in the theory and theoretical, was that we know the recession is going to impact revenue. And I really, truly believe that COVID-19, obviously, uh, the virus itself is going to impact engagement. People are going to be sick and not engaging. People are going to be working and not able to engage. And so I, I can't imagine personally a scenario where engagement doesn't fall until we figure out ways to engage that start to bring it back up again in the midterm and the long term. So the ones that I picked out here, you can see the first one is that we have the condition is that we have a high loss of revenue and a high loss of engagement. And I call this scenario the swift significant decline. If we're losing revenue and our members aren't with us anymore, in essence, they're not engaging with us, then this is probably the most dangerous situation that we have. And so this would be a situation that would be faced, I would say, by an organization that doesn't have a diverse product portfolio and service portfolio. Maybe membership has been on decline, it's a struggle. Um, maybe it's an organization that is really dependent on an annual meeting and those annual meetings aren't taking place. So that's a scenario, um, scenario number one. Number two is high loss of revenue, but low loss of engagement. So that means that engagement people are still with us. Um, they're hanging in there. Uh, maybe they're not able to take education. Maybe they're not able to certify, um, but they're still paying their dues. And um, hopefully we have their annual meeting that's in the spring next year and not in the fall or the spring this year. And I would call this a recoverable decline that we're going to see a blip but we're going to be able to come back from that. And this is the situation, this is the scenario that I think Abe is talking about with the 25%, which is significant. There's no question about it. So going from 40 million to 32 million is a, is, that's a significant loss of revenue, but it's a recoverable um, decline for the reasons that Abe mentioned that he has a diverse uh, product portfolio that he's working with. He has a, a strong investment fund. Um, he's got a rather large staff that he can work with. So, you know, his likely scenario at, you know, at high level scenario is going to be number two. Number three is a low loss of revenue, but a high loss of engagement. So this one, I would worry about long-term decline. That would be the scenario that we're looking at. So we'll, maybe we'll make it through the, uh, the short-term and the midterm consequences. But what we find out when we come out on the other side of the recession is that our members um, have, have lost interest in us. Um, what type of association may struggle with this? I would worry about any associations where the members belong as an obligation. Um, so if you, if you have a rather traditional membership base where they belong because it's what you do. Um, and we find this with MD organizations, for example, and I'm not pretending this for MD organizations, but it would be something that I would worry about. Um, and that we, they, they are still engaged with us and they're getting their CUs and they're doing uh, the things that they normally would do, um, but they're just losing interest in the association. And so this is also a scenario I think that we could uh, inadvertently work ourselves into if we're not able to hold on to the engagement of our members and our customers, um, no matter what industry they represent. So this would be a viable uh, scenario for a number of different organizations as well. The last scenario here then, because I'm using a matrix, is low loss of engagement and low loss of revenue. The, the recession and COVID-19 have little impact overall on the association. 
So this is what we saw with a number of um, healthcare-related organizations during the 2008 recession, uh, while industry-based associations were really hurting, um, the healthcare associations were continuing, and in some cases they were thriving. Um, so healthcare seemed at that point to be relatively immune uh, to the economic conditions. I am not a healthcare expert, so it's hard for me to say how this recession is going to impact healthcare uh, organizations. But what I will say is, is quite obvious to me anyway, is that we're going to see a loss of engagement as the healthcare professionals are just focusing on meeting the needs of our communities and, and the public health concerns related to COVID-19. So again, other ways to look at scenarios, you can just brainstorm potential scenarios, again, with your executive team that could come out of this based on the data you've got from, from a broader staff input, um, but you go ahead and define your scenarios. And then you're going to take a look at the metrics that will help you understand when you're moving into those scenarios. So how will we know when one of these scenarios is coming into fruition? And you'll want to identify both external and internal metrics. So the external metrics, again, just off the top of my head, well, we could continue to watch the infection rate because that's going to talk to us about um, how available, again, that translates over on the internal side, how available are members to engage, mortality rate, hospitalization rate, virus abatement date. So that's what we're looking for right now. We're trying to understand um, when is this going to be over? When are we going to be on decline? And we simply don't have uh, we're not in a place, we're in the eye of the storm right now, so we're not going to know that. But at the point we know that, we'll start be able to start modeling even association activity again. Related to the recession, we might look at the decline in, in global output, trade disruption, treasury yield, business sentiment, consumer sentiment, industry impact. Um, there's a lot of reports already out about industry impact. We know that um, the hospitality impact has been pretty severe already um, it's certainly hotels and uh, restaurants and, and uh, various public venues. So we can continue to, to kind of monitor that and see what's happening in those related industry. From an internal metric, these are um, some of the ones that Abe shared as well. Obviously, we're watching total revenue and, and its impact on net revenue. Why don't I put expense here. What is our expense um, management indicators here? Because expense is in your control. Total revenue is not completely in your control. You can try to market to build that revenue up, but as we talked about, somebody asked a question earlier about communications and, and members feeling that they're being bugged with all the communications that they're getting. Um, you can do your best, but total revenue in this situation is not completely under your control but expense management for the most part is. So it's not, that to me is not an indicator that we'd be looking at, but it's, it's something that you're managing. The CEO wants to know about expense management, but it's not, it doesn't portend anything other than whether you're doing a good job as a manager. Um, your retention, your acquisition, your registration, product sales, if you have them, lead time, lead flows, if you, especially if you have a sales organization, and especially if that sales organization is working with corporate buyers, there's all sorts of sales metrics that you'll want to uh, watch. But I would also say, from an engagement perspective, incoming calls and incoming emails. So what I would suspect would happen is that we're going to see, um, even if you're, let's say, outside sourcing your customer service, so there's a customer service bank that is 
is working for you or if it's staff, um, just generally knowing what is the call volume like and is it really declining, is it slowing? And that's an indication often of our members' ability or our customers' ability to engage with us as well. All right, and so after we do this work, then um, it's really time to start looking at different uh, strategies for addressing the scenarios. And so here I've put together just a simple table with the three scenarios that I want to address. I only have three here from the matrix because the low impact on revenue and the low impact on engagement is business as usual. And I already know what my strategy is for, for addressing the status quo. So I'm not going to spend time and energy on that, that scenario. I pushed it away. And here I'm really only focusing on these three um, scenarios that man action from us that's different from what we would normally do. And so the first thing that I'm looking at here um, is a goal for each. And the goal is not our long-term goal necessarily, but it's the goal for managing through this scenario. So our most intense scenario was swift decline. That's the scenario, that's a, the case that um, it feels like, let's say we canceled our, our spring meeting, we were pretty dependent on our spring meeting, or let's say all of a sudden our members just simply cannot um, take time to renew their dues or engage in education or certification. We may, and we're very dependent, we may see a more swift decline in that. And so the goal simply is to slow that decline. Why do I say slow the decline? Because if we can slow the decline, we end up preserving more resource to move into that recoverable decline period. So the first thing you want to do, and as Abe was talking about in a turnaround situation, and that is swift decline is definitely a turnaround situation. What you want to do is stop the bleeding. So what is it going to take to stop the bleeding? And so what we would expect in this in swift decline is our strategy would have an awful lot to do with reduction of costs. So when you look down um, the categories here, and this time I just did it with asterisks and saying how, how important is this strategy potentially to addressing the situation you can see on a scale of one to three, that reducing overhead costs and reducing direct costs becomes critically important. Um, partnering, potentially, so what are my opportunities um, to maybe get some funding um, or be able to work temporarily or long-term with another related association so um, we can get through this period. Uh, again, these are just uh, potential strategies that we can engage, but in the swift decline, you can see why those are so important to that. The recoverable decline goal is what we really want to do is shorten that recovery time. So slowing the decline is one thing because we, we then would go on if we were able to move into the recoverable decline uh, scenario, then we're going to shorten the recovery time. So we want to make this as painless as possible. And that's, again, I'm going to refer back to ASCM. ASCM goal is to keep that recovery time short. So they're, they're in, I think, based on what Abe is saying, in that recoverable decline, they're going to want to bounce back as quickly as they possibly can. So all the strategies that they're going to implement to bounce back um, have that goal of saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to eat this. So this is a difficult period of time. We know we're going to see this reduction, but how do we make decisions today so that once we get through this, let's say we're, we're in, um, 
I don't know, February of next year, uh, March, and we're, we're starting to see vaccine rollout or we've built immunity um, as a population. I, you know, out of my league here as I talk about the, the medical aspects of this. Um, but at that point, how do we bounce back? How do we come back from the decline? And what are the decisions we're going to make today so that we can shorten that recovery period? And partnering probably isn't the best solution in this, in this regard. Um, we still are going to need to reduce overhead because remember, if our resources, what will happen if um, we decline by 25%, but we don't reduce our spend? accordingly, well, we may, we'll either go into our investments funds, um, and if we go into our investment fund too heavily, that's going to prolong our recovery time because we're not gonna make investment in product and service again that we need to, anything we put on hold. So there has to be a reduction of expense when you're looking at, at, at a decline, usually um, over a period of time. Um, now, I didn't include reducing direct costs in the recoverable decline part just primarily because when I think about direct costs, I'm thinking about that related to revenue generating programs, and I want those revenue generating programs to be able to continue. So I might slow my spend on that, um, but I'm probably going to stay uh, in, in the game on those. And as they've talked about with the 2008 recession, which to, to APEX, what APEX was the organization at the time, was probably more severe than what ASDM is projecting right now. But um, at that point, we stayed the course, we kept the investment in updating pro the product, our cash cow product, and that helped us to bounce back more quickly. Um, Long-term decline, um, what I'm saying in terms of reducing overhead and direct costs is probably going to happen over the long term. So it may not be an immediate response, but we, we might feel, and a lot of times organizations do, they feel like, wow, we weathered the storm, we got to, through the short-term impact and the midterm impact, we're still whole, and they get on the other side of that and they find they don't have a business. Um, maybe their members are not so engaged, maybe their products and services are not as relevant, maybe they went stale. Um, so over a course of time now, they're going to continue to reduce overhead and direct costs because their revenue isn't bouncing back. Investing in marketing. Um, so this one is an interesting one. Again, is in the short term, making a whole lot of investment in marketing intuitively to me um, does not make as much sense. Now, I wouldn't say that we're gonna pull back in terms of our capacity to market, but we might put some things on hold right now because um, for a number of reasons. And, and primary reason is we just can't overcome through communication and marketing uh, the barrier that keeps people from buying. So if we're in an industry where our, again, I'm gonna go back to the frontline healthcare workers where they're just simply too busy to pay attention um, then using marketing for direct sales is probably not going to be um, a good use of our resources and it's probably going to irritate our members or they're just ignoring it. Um, but we don't want to lose capacity to market. And so marketing then becomes increasingly important as we time out this crisis. And so we want to be able to continue to build and to build our marketing capacity. And now I'm looking at, I probably would have put two asterisk under recoverable decline and maybe three under long-term because um, the marketing becomes critically important. Investment in product development, new product development. We're not going to do that in the short term. I don't, I, especially when um, we think about short term as being one to two months, it doesn't make any sense, and you wouldn't even have any money if you were in the swift decline um, scenario. But as we start to recover, we can start putting more money into that. 
And then, you know, addressing barriers to participation. I think that this is important the whole way through. So when we look at engagement right now, it's not too early to start thinking about how do we make engagement more meaningful and more important for our members? So if you're, you're not in healthcare and your members are more at home right now than they've been before, maybe feeling more isolated, what are the ways that the association can help them feel somewhat connected? And I think everybody's getting inundated with virtual meetings and those types of things. So I, I haven't spent tons of time thinking about it, but what I can perceive is that there is going to be a need for this connection. And so the opportunity, the long-term opportunity is going to be finding ways to connect your members to each other so that they are able to provide support and feel like they're a part of a community again, and that they're just not isolated and on their own. I, I will say about scenario planning, let me go back for a second. Just like any type of a strategic plan, when we talk about partnering or reducing overhead or direct costs or whatever, you still have to put the plan part together. And I haven't done that as an example here, but you're still going to talk about what are my goals for partnering? And then what are the various strategies that I, that I would look to under partnering and the tactics and the timelines and things like that? You're gonna go ahead and to build out you know, some planning underneath each of those and not as heavy as a strategic plan. So if you had a one page um, kind of description of the strategy and um, the goal that you're trying to accomplish and, and what are the different tactics that you'll put into place if the scenario starts to come to fruition, um, I think that that's good enough right now. I think financial modeling to support your scenario analysis is hugely important. Um, and that's something your finance staff have to do. But with each one of these scenarios, you would have a financial model that would help you understand with your indicators, obviously, what situation you would be in and what you're going to have, what kind of resources you're going to have and what resources you may not have anymore. Um, so those things are also really important. In the end, I think that this is really all about leadership. And it feels like when I'm talking about scenario planning, even to my ears, that that's a lot of detail. And what's the CEO play in this? Well, if you're a CEO, I think the play is simply that you're you are initiating scenario planning. So you're getting your people working on it quickly so that you get a lay of the land. Because your job, in essence, is to be able to communicate. For you to be uh, to talking to your members, to talking to your leaders and talking to your staff and keeping them with you and everybody pulling in the same direction. You need to say, as a CEO, this is where we are, this is how we got here, and this is where we're going to go. And that's, I think, what people are looking for from leadership today. And that, again, if you're in that leadership role, if you're a CEO, that's essentially what your main responsibility is in a situation like this. And scenario planning gives you the answers you need to be able to address those three points. So I do think that uh, scenario planning is critically important for the organization across the board, but the results of it are especially important to our CEOs. We had a question from after uh, Abe's presentation, respond to your board if they take a hunker down for eight weeks this will pass attitude in responding to this health crisis. I think I would go back to my first slide and say, you know, hope for the best and plan for the worst. Um, 
when when I was making personal decisions and people were challenging my personal decisions um, a couple of weeks ago and and trying you know doing running my own scenario plans in my mind because um, I have an 87 year old mother I have a 97 year old uh, mother-in-law and you know like my priority is protecting them what I would say when people thought I was being too cautious is simply okay I will never regret having a plan I will be grateful if I don't have to implement my plan, but I will never regret having it. And um, this is something that a friend of mine taught me who lives in the Caribbean and she says, you know, come hurricane season, we all have plans. And we're all glad if we don't have to implement them, but we're especially happy we have them if, if we need them. And so if the board is resisting and saying, you know, let's just, let's not do anything differently. Um, I, if I were a CEO, I would say, well, this is why I am going to be proactive. This is what you're paying me for. And so I am going to create, use this time to create the plans and to watch it. And you will be happy that I've done this if in fact we need to implement them. And I think obviously there's no way we're not going to be implementing these at this point. Yeah, good point. Um, so another question, what tools would you recommend we use to support scenario planning? So I think that the, um, a lot of the things that we're doing with scenario planning are facilitated conversations. And so this is something that we do, we'll, we'll come in and we'll facilitate. And if we're doing that, we would use a variety of tools. Um, I think Excel certainly to, to collect information is great, but if you're having a facilitated conversation, even uh, interactive tools like Poll Anywhere, even if you're just working with staff, one of the things I love about a tool like Poll Anywhere in PowerPoint is that you can, you can let all the staff go ahead if we're brainstorming and, and just use their fingers and think quickly, uh, let's say about potential impacts as we talked about it. And then the system is collecting that and you can go back through then and evaluate all those and transfer it over into Excel. Um, but I don't know that it takes a whole lot more than, than your Microsoft Office suite and because it's really just collecting and then presenting information. So um, just some, you know, Sharon, you talked about facilitating uh, meetings and now obviously we're facilitating meetings uh, remotely and we, Abe and talked about that. I just wanted to mention to the folks on the phone, you can see that there's a little bit of a delay with Sharon's video. Uh, so what we did today, we're actually using our phone for voice and then have the video on with on the computer because we were concerned about the amount of load um, on Wi-Fi as we're kind of working. So that's just an added sidebar tip if you have to facilitate a discussion with board members or anything like that and you don't want to see the delays on the computer that we're seeing because of the, you know, the bandwidth on the infrastructure uh, as everybody in the world is now um, on working from home. Uh, so one more question, Sharon. When, uh, who do you recommend that we involve in scenario planning? Leaders, staff, you, you talked about um, getting uh, you know, other management staff involved, but can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I think that it, this is a top-down exercise and let's talk about it first from a staffing perspective. Um, I think the CEO obviously initiates scenario planning and if your CEO isn't, if you're not a CEO and your CEO is not initiating, then I, I think that's a conversation that you should be having. So the CEO, CEO um, says, hey, it's time that we do this. This is why we're doing it. Um, I would have the uh, executive team, a leadership team of organizations that have these 
um, on the staff side. If you're a smaller organization, you might go directly to your full staff right off the bat. But I think executive team really looking at the driving forces that we talked about those factors and what's happening, you know, externally and internally um, and how that impacts the internally. And then at the point that you're looking at short, medium and long term impact, that's where I would broaden out and involve more staff. So I, you know, my background is with a larger association as a staff member or as an executive vice president with APEX during the recession. Um, we let the leaders know what was happening, but my recollection was we did not engage committees in the scenario planning process. And I know that other associations and a lot of times, especially MD-based organizations, have a very um, uh, strong and uh, large committee structure. So there may be opportunity then to engage um, those as well, especially when we talk about COVID-19. Uh, COVID um, where would I engage them? Probably only on the factor side. I, I don't think I would, once we get into the mid, uh, the short, mid and long term, in fact, that gets really operational. So if I, if I did feel like I needed to involve the committee in scenario planning, I probably do it in looking at the factors and making sure we're really well aware of those. Of course, then the board needs to be aware of the scenarios that you're planning for and how you're going to, to operate under these conditions. So the CEO would take that back to the board. I hope you enjoyed this episode and discover tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .orgsource specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com to find out how to get your organization on track to Association 4.0. You can also engage in other educational content by becoming a member of .org community or reading our books on Association 4.0, which you can find on Amazon. We look forward to hearing from you soon.